Welcome back to the Lift for Life podcast. I am here with Stuart Walton, who has trained multiple famous people who we will go into detail on. And I'm here with the one and only G-Dog. And it's been fantastic to see we've inspired so many of you to do the Christmas Day run, Stuart being one of them. But Graham, could you tell us a little bit more about how your Christmas Day run went? It was not in line with expectations. I got up as I should have done at 6.30. I noted that the sunrise was supposed to be at 8.15. So I decided to get up and go out roughly an hour before sunrise. So I get the sunrise in a beautiful moment, et cetera, et cetera. It was raining. It was cloudy. Sunrise wasn't visible. But given that I hadn't run for about four months and had just been training at the gym, I realized that running and gym are a bit different. And I failed. So basically every kilometer I had to stop and walk for 100 meters. And so that wasn't particularly inspiring for all of my fans. But then after that, my legs were aching all day Christmas Day, all day Boxing Day. And Angus had programmed Legs Day for me the day after Boxing Day when the gyms reopened in Fulham. Assuming, at all that. assuming that I would be iconic as ever. And no, my legs are destroyed. My barbell back squat, which had got up to 145, 10 reps, had to go all the way down to 70. And yeah, it wasn't ideal, Angus. Yeah, I think we need to work on your running and cardiovascular health, that's for sure. But anyway, on with the podcast. I think a really nice place to start, Stuart, is how did you get into weight training and fitness in the first place? It's a very interesting question, Angus. It was quite a journey for me. I was living in London. I'd moved from Midlands to London, working in banking, living a pretty unhealthy lifestyle, I think it's it's fair to say. I'd got myself to a point where I realized if I don't change something here, potentially I'm going to die. And I'm not joking at this point. I'm pretty all or nothing. When I'm into something, I'm heavily into it, as you might gather from what I've just said. Um, from, uh, from that, I joined the gym. Gym box, Covent Garden. Went 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. actually it opened uh, at the time when I first started there. And I went every morning. Well, not quite every morning, but it turns out it's quite difficult to be at the gym at 6.30 in the morning when you're still out at 3 a.m. <laughs> However, I went often enough to build a habit, start to see some results, and that's really where my passion for, for fitness, for, for lifting, and the impact that it can have on people's lives more broadly started. So you talk about it saving your life. Could you give us a little bit more detail on what you mean by that? Sure. So uh, if you can imagine uh, living a lifestyle where you're spending a lot of time socializing, let's say, uh, until the early hours, uh, you're doing the burning the candle uh, at both ends and you have a personality type where you dive in stuff, you're action oriented and you're committed down a particular sort of pathway that can be difficult to unwind. Lifting and going to the gym is a thing that gave me something else to focus on. So they talk about uh, when you're trying to kick a habit, if you're trying to stop smoking or something like that, rather than just stop, stop, but give start something else. Give yourself something else to do. Now, I hadn't come across this theory at the time, but actually it turned out that going to the gym and the whole fitness piece was a slightly more healthy channel in which to direct my session. So genuinely, it's so much. And also, and you ended up meeting your wife that way, you ended up becoming a 
trainer to movie stars that way. So it had a very broad impact on your life. It did, absolutely. Massive, massive uh, impact. The highlight being meeting my wife, of course, uh, rather than movie star training. Uh, she'll listen to this. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a, a massive impact over a number of years. It took me from the world of banking for what was supposed to be a two-year career break into the world of personal training to share my love of lifting with other people and help to transform other people's lives through a whole journey through uh, executive coaching, training, movie uh, producers, directors, and onto the film work, which I know we're going to talk about. Yeah, so, so before we go on to all of the details about that, let's just cut to the chase. The list of people that you've been involved with training in the movie industry, just give us a, a flavor of some of those names. Jason Momoa, Patrick Wilson, Amber Heard, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Phenomenal. So it's some huge names and particularly relevant now, given that we've got the latest Aquaman film out. Jason Momoa's on the side of every bus in London at the moment, I think. Absolutely. Aside of every bus, uh, I've been through the tube stations today to make my way here. So I've, uh, I've seen that beautiful face many, many times. We have a lot of trainers listening to this podcast. Those who obviously train at our gym. I'm really fascinated by your journey as a trainer and as a business. How have you gone from I assume just starting as a one-to-one personal trainer on the gym floor, or you might have been online, to training the people that you've trained. How have you ended up in that position? Sure, really interesting question. I think the the key to that, and one person I'll speak about uh, in particular uh, in a moment, but, uh, but the key to that really for me has been learning, so continuous education and relationship building. So one of the things that I was really, really interested in when I left banking and moved into uh, personal training was the psychological effect because I got into lifting for the reasons that I had, that impact on the mind was really, really interesting. I had a personal trainer at Gymbox when I was working at the bank called Peter Vodden, who owns a gym called Pharos in LA now, which is an amazing facility. He was my personal trainer and he was nudging me because he could see I was super into it We'd spar and he'd punch me in the face, but then he'd also encourage me to come and be a PT as well. So I think he liked me really, and he was best man at my wedding. So uh, in terms of how I got there, I eventually took that leap and became the personal trainer at Gymbox. And you're completely right, Angus, it was on a one-to-one basis, wasn't doing anything online uh, at the beginning. Uh, It was pretty early days uh, when I started doing that. And so there weren't the same platforms and technology that's that's available now, which I know is is fantastic, but uh, but it wasn't all all around then. So it's one to one personal training. Peter had been through this continuous professional development route with a gym called Jim Jones in the US, and one of their philosophies was the mind is primary. Now there's a clear connection with my own interests, my own journey, and that. So not only did I used to enjoy the training that we did together, apart from the getting punched in the face. <laughs> But also it's something that resonated with my own background, my own story. So it just made sense then for me to follow down that educational pathway as well, learn their methodologies. I spent a lot of time in Salt Lake City where the gym is based and with Mark Twight who founded that gym. So it's interesting because a lot of the listeners will be listening to this Lift for Life podcast and think about going to the gym. They wouldn't think the mind is primary. So actually what the mind is primary is about is the fact that if in your physical training, you're not also 
training your mind and testing your mind, then you're actually missing a trick because you're spending a lot of time, uh, depending on how much you dedicate to it, doing physical training. And if you're not developing the mind at the same time, then that's a huge missed opportunity. But if you think about running a marathon, I'm not sure if you want to do that any soon, necessarily following the Christmas day. And destroyed my reputation. Yeah, really. <laughs> but you did it. But actually what was great, right, was that you said you did it and it was tough. So you walked a bit and then you carried on and then you walked a bit and then you carried on. So you actually finished it, right? So you completed it. Absolutely. Despite the fact that everything was against you, Graham. So Not quite everything, but quite yeah. Everything, but, um, I was but, being a bit of a wetter. But you didn't get <laughs> Love that line. Yeah, yeah, spot on. But you didn't give up and go home, right? You you carried on and you completed what you set out to do. And so, you know, if you think about the marathon and there's talk about the wall at 20 miles right and yeah of course that's due to energy depletion you know if you've not necessarily been hydrating uh, on the way around whatever but you've done 20 miles like you can pretty much do six at that point and it's the voices right and and the wall is is the voices and working on the mind and testing the mind and viewing that as something to be developed alongside the physical is an incredibly powerful thing in that scenario. I know I certainly experienced that the first time when I rode a marathon on a Concept 2 machine, when my headphones ran out of battery within the first 15 minutes, good planning, and uh, and I set out too fast and blew up after about 10K. Turns out 30K of just staring at numbers on a row machine is pretty challenging, but it's suffering, that's fine. There's a start, a middle, and an end, and it will always end. Are there simple tasks that people can do on a daily basis in order to help with their mind whether it's progressing with their training the obvious thing is things like progressive overload but those basic fundamentals as soon as you get up in the morning that people can do in order to see help develop their mental state uh there are a lot that's a really interesting question i think yeah so in the gym uh you describe the uh, progressive overload is one thing positive affirmation in the gym so there's science effectively that dictates if you pushing a weight and you are saying easy 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 strong 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 it makes a difference and so for me it's about creating the habits that create that resistance i suppose to to adversity so that will mean different things for different people it could be putting order into your day straight away if that's something you struggle with making the bed having a little ritual get out of bed and do 10 push-ups just anything to kick the day off uh, in a positive way and whatever that means to the person yeah, the power of positive thinking combined with structure in your life has, has a huge impact on everything you do. Moving back to the, the actual film, I imagine you go in there with a relatively unequal relationship. You are a member of staff to the movie stars. So do you feel intimidated by the movie stars? How do you build that rapport, the relationship? I mean, Angus and I talk about when we first met and clearly very different sort of backgrounds different ages i don't know whether he was intimidated by me i was slightly intimidated by him but that's like a compliment i think i just got from graham which is very rare so i'll take that love this one but i'm just <laughs> I'm just thinking how, how do you feel when you arrive there I mean, maybe when you did the gold coast one you'd already done it before so it was very sort of tick box you know what you're doing but the leaveston one was that the first time you trained movie stars it was so how did you build the relationship with them and did you feel nervous about it? Um, I didn't feel nervous about it because ultimately I was brought there to do a job because I was capable of doing the job. I was an experienced trainer and I knew what to do. The fact that it was on a movie or with movie stars 
to an extent was by the by because it was essentially an extension of the work that I've been doing for a while anyway. And there's no way I would have been there if I wasn't more than capable of delivering against it. In terms of building the relationships, I think just looping back to uh, where we started with the introduction of how I got there, I think my early career in finance, in sales and relationship management roles was really, really helpful there because I think the same keys of relationship building as I would view them apply here, right? So it's about genuine care. It's about curiosity, listening, asking questions, understanding their perspective because they're, yes, they are higher on the crew list, but they're there to do a job as well which is to deliver this amazing inspirational movie you're all there to contribute to the same thing so that helps and although there's a, a list and an order that's a great leveler because you have that common objective so the relationship building piece is around that curiosity understanding how they see the movie how they see their character listening to them and understanding their needs and then being authentic so giving of yourself as well and getting to know them personally and the more that you sort of combine that with doing great work the more that relationship builds and the more trust builds probably in the same way that you guys yeah and how, how important is that knowledge of the individual actor i guess each actor you train is completely different they're starting from a different level they've got different knowledge of fitness nutrition and so on is that right uh, that's absolutely correct it's it's the same as if you're a personal trainer in the gym when I started on the first day with first clients back in gym box, although I had a lot more experience at that point, but it's exactly the same as how you'd have a fact finding conversation with anybody that you were looking to personal train to understand the history, uh, what they've done, what they're looking to get to, what inspires them, what do they like doing, what don't they like doing. It's there are a lot of similarities. I'd love to break down where and how it started with Jason. So from a training nutrition standpoint, how do you analyze them first? Is there a load of DEXA scans, et cetera, et cetera? When it comes to nutrition, how does he eat whilst on set? How long is it for? What's his training split? Sorry, that's a really broad question. There are a lot of questions. If you, you yeah, if you could kind of have to remind me. Yeah, if you could kind of give us an overview of his training plan, his nutrition plan, and what things you think he did and what you will do with all your clients that the average person a could do and b you think they should be doing so in terms of where jason started i'm sure you've seen him on social media or talk shows he's a big guy really how tall is he well well north of the six foot mark and i'm five ten and a half (laughs) that's a very important (laughs) half as anyone under six graham are you six foot yeah (laughs) I think with the amount of protein I'm having, with the impact that my muscle building has on my bone density, I think I'm almost seven foot. I mean, no one really sees me standing up, but I'm six foot three, guys, just to let you know. Anyway, sorry. Very bad pictures of me and Angus standing next to each other, which are going to be censored for life. Back to this very serious, valuable podcast, please, about Jason Vermeer. So Jason, big guy. He's also active, right? So whilst he's not necessarily living in a gym day in, day out, he loves his outdoor activity, so he's a huge climber. If you follow him on social media, you'll see it bouldering, rock climbing. He skateboards, he surfs, he does all this stuff that's just active. And so he retains musculature, he stays in, in good shape. So for him, uh, in terms of sort of going from a prep phase and if I say into shape for the movie, I'm using inverted commas because 
he's kind of pretty in shape uh, as you can see anyway it's about tweaking right so it's about not necessarily doing what you see on instagram as a massive before and after transformation and whoa look at what we did in two weeks or 10 weeks or, or 12 weeks but it's about taking that foundation that we've got and looking at it on a broader level because there's other things to consider that necessarily should but may give a bit less consideration to if you're training uh i say a regular client someone with a, a desk job something like that the reasoning for that is let's take injury prevention for example right so if somebody with a desk job injures their knee they get a bit of a niggle shouldn't happen should be looked after but they're going to carry on doing the job so on and so forth if you do something that causes an injury in a movie that's got hundreds of million dollars of budget and ends up being a bit over a billion dollars of revenue and you cause a delay to that shooting schedule probably not the best thing so you're looking at not just the shape that the person is in but also what injuries are they carrying what how do we prevent any aggravation how do we make sure that no injuries happen essentially as as we go through so the training has a really broad scope where jason started is in good shape because as you can see he's naturally sizable holds holds muscle and it's about um, a little bit of definition there we didn't use any technology we didn't we didn't use body scans we used visuals we use scales sometimes but essentially we went by look by feel and trusted uh what we were doing with the process which is a process that that we've done a number of times before ultimately whether jason Moore is six percent or 6.1 percent body fat for example on on screen it doesn't matter right so the the specificity of those numbers doesn't require body scan and that type of thing although there is huge value in those and i understand that what matters is the way he looks the way he feels and the way his physicality and the what we've done helps him get into character so that that's an example of someone who's ripped wedge already and acting in a movie that requires that but you must have had situations where they weren't like that and you needed to actually do a pretty big transformation and presumably in sometimes relatively short periods of time. So the people that are listening to this, it's January, are going to be thinking, my personal fitness, I want to have an impact in a short period of time. Is that right? In a movie, you, you, you are able to do that? How do you do it? Yes, that is right. You, uh, you have an impact in what is a relatively short period of time. And depending on the shooting schedule and what's in that shooting schedule will depend on how long that time frame is. In terms of how you do it, I think there's there's a couple of keys, right? And this can transfer over to anybody listening, I believe. One is Jason or anyone else on that cast, they have, in some ways, the circumstances stacked in their favor, right? So they're there to do a job and looking a certain way is part of that job in the same way that learning the lines is part of the job and speaking the lines and so on and so forth. So they're doing it as part of their, their job. So there is a commitment there. They've got an expert working with them that can help them in a number of ways. Things like uh, accountability, of course, is incredibly transferable. Things like basic knowledge, if they don't already have it. And uh, things like helping with agility. So one of the things that I think is key that we really nail down in the film stuff is consistency. So consistency on a macro level, but agility on a micro level. Now, what I mean by that, and this may resonate with some people that are trying to get out there maybe for the first time in a while, 
and start doing some physical training and seeing some results is we've all got lives and things get in the way. So what I mean is consistency on a macro level is about showing up and it's about always turning up and being willing to do whatever the work is to support the result that one is trying to achieve. The agility on a micro level, and if I relate this back to the shooting, comes down to on any day, the filming might go long, it might be delayed. There might have been two hours scheduled for the gym and you've got 20 minutes and that might happen two days in a row. On a macro level, you be consistent, you still show up. What you rely on the expert to do is to find a way in that 20 minutes or looking at it across a week to get in the things, the exercises and the work that will help you get to where you want to be. But you have to be agile and if you don't have that support, it's pretty challenging, I think, to to do that. What I love as well is for people listening to this, what stood out for me was the fact you said no DEXA scans, nothing like that, just absolutely nailing the basics, right? And that's what you did with Jason. You just tweak things ever so slightly and that's often what it takes. It's not about going on these dramatic weight loss diets and adding in supplements you don't need. It is simply nailing the basics, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think nailing the basics, going back to the making the bed in the morning or having that habit, right, is that's what's going to give you the results over the long term. We're talking about movies. So yeah, sure, we are talking about getting into a certain shape for a scene or across the whole movie. But actually, a lot of what people want to train for is for their health, for their well-being, to be able to play with their kids or grandkids when they're older or just to, to kind of look good through the summer or you know a fairly extended period of time. There's all different tasks or objectives that people have in mind when they start out on this journey. Nailing the basics for me is the number one thing that makes it uh, achievable over over the long term or maintainable, should I say. And in terms of the nutrition, so on the movie set, you're saying things being stacked in Jason's favor or the other actor's favor. How much of the nutrition is controlled? So an average person, me or whatever, we can lose control of our nutrition and that can really affect our ability to get the gains. But I guess on a movie set, it's very controlled. Um, it is controlled on a movie set, but um, I, I would counter that point uh, in terms of there are a number of tools. And this would be the second thing I would say, actually, that really carries over that I'd recommend to listeners serious about, um, about making that change is stack the odds in your favor as well, because there are tools that can help you do that. So if you think about businesses like uh, HelloFresh, for example, Mindful Chef, they do meal delivery that based on a series of questions will be personalized to a large extent to your needs. That's what we're doing on the show. Sure, we've got a catering truck right outside the back of the gym, but that's just a variety of meals being prepared for somebody to eat based on what they need at the time. There's also another business, I think it's Fresh Fitness Foods potentially, and they deliver the meals already prepared in a box every day, I believe. And I mean, what's easier than that? That's almost literally exactly the same as, as what we have. So those businesses are out there. It's just researching it, having the commitment and choosing the one that suits the lifestyle that you want to lead. If you want to measure everything and cook your own food, do that. If you just want to cook your own food, but have great fresh ingredients delivered, do the Hello Fresh Mindful Chef thing. If you want to receive a box and eat it, that, there's options as well. So yes, there are um, things stacked in, in the favor in these circumstances, but there are ways in inverted commas, normal life 
for people to stack those same things in their own favor. I love that quote, stack the odds in your favor. Very simple, but it is actually so true. More often than not, when people don't succeed on the fitness journey, it's because they are stacking the odds very much against them from where they start. So I need to lose X amount in this amount of time. I'm going to eat only 500 calories a day when actually there are quite simple things they can have access to. Now, there is one thing where people can stack the odds in their favor from an aesthetic standpoint, and that's obviously the use of anabolic steroids. Do you uh, have any clientele that have used it before? Do you know of any clientele that have used it for movies? And is it very common in the film industry, or is it just some individuals have used it that really stand out for us? Uh, Not to my knowledge have I ever worked with anyone that has. I've got an interesting and potentially controversial viewpoint on this, right? Because um, I think to a very large extent, what people choose to do with their own bodies is their own kind of freedom of of choice. A movie to me is very different to a boxing match, let's say. And if, if we use that example, so in a boxing match or UFC fight, people are beating the hell out of each other and there's potential for somebody to kill someone else. Um, as the worst possible outcome. Now, if participant A is giving themselves an unfair advantage by doing something that they shouldn't be doing based on the rules of that and that's uh, those sorts of substances, that's one thing. If it happens to be part of somebody's job to look a certain way but they're not that way-minded or interested in it and they use something uh, in order to help them get there, personally, I don't think that's... Uh, such a challenge where I would um, sort of counter against that on my own perspective is if they then are not honest about it because these people are role models, aren't they? Kids look at them and, and uh, so do adults actually, to be fair, and, and say, this person looks like that and, you know, they're amazing and they're coming out and saying, yeah, I'm completely natural. Look at me, I work so hard, which you do still have to do with uh, those ty- that type of help. Um, but I think it's, it's the honesty thing for me. I think there's if they're being honest, there's very little damage in that. Yeah. And I think I was looking at some quotes in the press about movie stars and performance-enhancing drugs. And it's really some very interesting interviews with um, Arnie Schwarzenegger. And he is very open about the fact that he took 100 milligrams a week of testosterone um, and 15 milligrams a day of Dianabol. And he said... That was all under doctor's supervision, but he's now suffering the consequences of it on the impacts of its heart, various parts of his body. And he's now a big sort of proponent of not using those things. And there was a, an article I read in The Hollywood Reporter, as reported in Vox, said that in 2013, 20% of all actors were taking performance-enhancing drugs and they think that over the 20 years since then, the number has increased significantly. So so it is definitely a thing, and it's, it's all very clear. And I think we all need to be very aware when we see these pictures of these people that influence children, influence us. We've got to put it into context that, you know, a lot of this is not completely natural. And we need to, you know, focus on all the good stuff that you're talking about, but, but bear in mind that we shouldn't assume that, it's completely possible to get a body like that consistently forever by doing just the basic boring stuff that we know we need to do. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm never going to be six foot four either. So, uh, you know, it's about looking at these people, taking inspiration from 
um, sort of how they look or their work ethic or the information that you get from uh, articles you read or podcasts like this about their workouts, but you're never going to replicate precisely the results of that person anyway. So the key for me is get the fundamentals right and do what you can to achieve the best results for yourself to be the best version of you that you can. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think one person who stands out for me, he's not openly admitted he's taken performance enhancing drugs, but uh, what Zac Efron looked like in Baywatch. That is probably, think of in the last few years, the person where people will go, well, surely he was on something. Now, he hasn't admitted he has, but what he has said after it, he kind of put on a lot more body fat. What he went through, even if he was enhanced to get to that, he basically was like, it was not worth it. It was horrible. And this goes back to your point about nailing the basics and how important that is. Like these guys, regardless of them being performance enhanced, they are literally killing themselves in order to get to that physique. And you look at the other physiques, I think uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did a film, the Russian spy film he did recently, and he got so, so skinny. That obviously wasn't enhanced, but like the things these guys do in order for a big paycheck obviously the odds stacked in their favor is always going to be so different to what the average person can do, right? Absolutely. I mean, the the prime example, um, if I don't know, uh, the demographic of, of listeners, but the one that I always think of is Christian Bale, right? So The Machinist yeah. and uh, American Psycho. And if uh, you know, I'm moving away from the enhancement conversation now because I've no, uh, no feelings on, on that person or, or those movies, no idea uh, about that. But yeah, that, I mean, that, that area is an incredibly extreme one way and a fairly extreme. Yeah, I mean, r- b- before doing this podcast, I surveyed a few people in the office and friends and I said, you know, what is the one thing you'd want to ask Stu? And Christian Bell came up so many times. It's like, how is that physically possible that someone can go from one extreme to the other? And what does that do to the body? I mean, it clearly can't be great. But, but I, I'm just curious about what, when you're preparing someone for a movie there's going to be um, the movie will last say two to three hours the filming might last for as much as a year there'll be scenes where they've got to look ripped on the beach and there'll be other scenes presumably you can't keep them ripped for the whole year of filming so do you sort of film the ripped scenes for a week and then the rest of the scenes are done later and therefore you only need to train them to be amazing for that one week and do they then just like massively dehydrate themselves for that period um, the, there's a couple of things in there. It, in some ways it would be ideal if, uh, let's say there's two shirtless scenes in a, in a film that's shot over seven months. It would be ideal if they're positioned right next to each other, frankly. Um, but that's not necessarily going to be the way there's obviously bigger things that go into what the shooting schedule is, is going to look like. Um, at the same time, no, you don't have to keep them ripped for seven months. Depending on the spacing, you could effectively do two peaks, if you like. But the other thing to bear in mind is that whatever you do has got to be fairly sustainable because also that, you know, we've just come through Christmas, right? So uh, personally, I ate quite a lot over Christmas, right? So the me of December 16th might not be the me of like January, <laughs> January 1st. There's probably a noticeable difference in that. If you're going and watching a movie where one of the stars of the movie is absolutely shredded in a shirtless scene and then either before that in the film or or after that, you know, they're three, four stone heavier with body fat, you're going to be asking some questions about how that's happening, to be fair. So with the uh, the producers and and the director. 
So you've got to have that sort of maintenance and uh, large amount of consistency throughout. So it's about getting to where you want to get to, which isn't necessarily absolutely vascular shredded completely, right? But it's about getting to where you want to get to, holding that as your kind of core for the show, um, how that person is going to appear in the movie. Again, that lends itself to the aesthetic, to the psychology, etc., of the role is going to look great and inspiring. And then you dial it in for a little bit around those, you know, if there are one or two shirtless scenes, uh, dial it in. And could you give us an example of um, the, the training splits you do? So we always talk about you just need to do the boring stuff again and again and again. You've got to do the compound movements. You've got to do the isolation movements and you just repeat it and you see all these funky movements on Instagram that people are doing, but actually we're just doing boring stuff again and again and again with greater weights and greater webs. It's not boring. No, it's not, it's not boring. Of course, do I, not say uh, the, if I would, I wouldn't be doing it every single day. I yeah, exactly. thought it was boring. No, avoid it. But, but <laughs> for, for an Instagram audience, it would appear boring. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. And so... Do you have to do special funky stuff for these actors or what are the training splits you have to do? Like back flipping on Swiss ball. <laughs> yeah, going back to the injury risk thing I talked about earlier. No, there's no there's there's none of that. Um it is a lot of the fundamentals, to be honest, but those are the things, as I said, and I'm a risk of being boring myself potentially, but those are the things that make a difference. They're the kind of core movements for a reason right no one calls the backflip on a swiss ball the core movement otherwise we'd all be doing it and we'd have a much lower population but um so yeah so it's it's dialing in those uh those fundamentals yes doing the squats the deadlifts the bench press everything that that we know are, are those ones that give you the big bang for your buck because again going back to that uh, micro agility i talked about when you've got 20 minutes you haven't got time there to do tons and tons of funky exercises or accessory work and it might be 20 minutes three four days in a row so you've got to get the stuff done that you know is going to get the job done so, so if you had those moments so the, the, those sort of oh my god something's happened with the filming schedule jason's going to be on you've got 20 minutes to train him how do you decide what to do uh so i work with a um sort of macro schedule over 12 weeks and then broken down into four week blocks and it's all drawn up but it's all very kind of scribbled and moving things around but it's a live kind of live working project plan right it's a live working document so i always know where we need to get to i always know what's on the list to do and i always try and fulfill what's on the list to do within a week right so what i would do is on a wednesday let's say that happens we've had some good training on the monday tuesday Ron's schedule i know that the friday is clear because jason's off so we can have a good one then it's then remapping that. So what what are the key things that we still need to do to make sure that we're delivering the results uh, that we need to? And if we can hit 80% of that consistently in the 20-minute sessions, we're going to have a great outcome, right? And and that's where, and I link this to your run, right? And the walking is like, you can't always run. Things aren't always going to go to absolute plan. And so you need a plan and to know what you're going to do to kind of keep it going and to, to keep things moving just i think that is that is so critical for the listeners and that is exactly how what you're doing can pass into the daily life of people i see so many of my friends and colleagues who will literally say i need to go down to the gym for an hour but i've only got 20 minutes so i'm not going to go and that example of there is 
you can go down for 20 minutes and just do part of your routine and then do the rest of it another day. I mean, I, Angus knows I put it on the app. I didn't complete my session today because I had some other stuff to do. So instead of being in the gym for one and a half hours, I was only there for an hour. But, you know, I still did most of what I needed to do. I think that's so so important. 80% good. 80% of the time is as good as it's going to get. That's quite that I swear by. But that's true, right? Particularly in it, with the listeners and we're talking about people that are living real lives where other things are a priority or certainly will be at some times and unexpected things will crop up. If you get 80% of the way week in, week out with the odd blip, but you're consistently doing it and retaining the habit so you don't have to start it again, you mentioned we're, we're at the new year. Yeah, you'll be in a, a much, much better place come 1st of Jan or early Jan 25 than you would be if you went full gas for the next eight weeks and then blew up and did 0% for the rest of the year, right? Absolutely. I think but you're now training for Ironman, is that right? That's correct. So so it's interesting. So again, a lot of the listeners will probably be, have done or be doing Ironman, ultra marathons, lots of different things. Fascinating to hear from someone who's trained the people that you've trained in the industries you've worked in and is now doing something personally like this. What are the lessons you've learned that you are taking forward on this journey towards Ironman? Uh, the key one is the mind is primary. Going back to, to the beginning of when we started talking and almost the beginning of my journey in lifting and, and the fitness world, you don't go out there and effectively exercise for hopefully 12 hours, but potentially 16, who knows, um, without going through some uh, some conversations in your own head. So I think primarily that's that's the thing when I'm out there that's going to stand me in, in really good stead and the lesson that, that I would take uh, right through that. The other one is consistency as well. So, you know, uh, as people will know, I'm sure you don't just turn up and do that there's a lot of training that that needs to be done and particularly in my circumstances uh, i haven't ridden a bike for 11 years i've never swum uh, apart from if you count being on a lilo on holiday with a cocktail in hand which i'm not sure is going to get me around a 3.8 k uh, swim they probably don't allow flotation aids apart from wetsuits anyway so the lilo is probably out but um but that consistency and for me it's just applying everything that uh, that i've talked about really today is understand the fundamentals if I have to miss a session or, uh, you know, I'm supposed to do an hour and 10 minutes, but I do an hour, I don't go beat myself up. I make sure I've done the main bit of the session, right? I'm, I make sure I get the most bang for my buck for that session. And then I carry on because why would I give myself a, a negative mindset about something that ultimately is a micro part of the journey over what is for me a 12 month uh, training exercise? So I feel very positive about it. I'm excited by it. I love the mental test of it. And for me, it just gives me a, a chance to demonstrate that consistency, that macro-micro thing that I talked about earlier, macro-consistency, micro-agility. Well, that was fantastic. Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the Lift for Life podcast. Graham, have you had a good time? Loved it. It's fascinating. I think the there's so many lessons that we can draw from training the stars that i think a lot of people think it's completely out of our world but you've listed so many things that are directly linked to my daily life i think our daily lives and particularly people that are starting a training program in january just to think about that commitment and to think about setting up processes and systems and just how 
even someone like Jason Mamar needs a PT. He, he knows everything about training. He's been training all of his life, but he needs to have a team around him to take him to the next level. And I think those guys that are starting the gym now need to think about that. Don't just go to the gym and start messing around on your own. Absolutely. If you look at the best people in the world at anything, they have a coach, right? Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, they're not just turning up and winging it, are they? They've, they've got a coach. If you look at uh, people in business, uh, I think Eric Schmidt said that the most important person uh, potentially in a business is the coach, the exec coach, right? So it, it translates absolutely everywhere. So it can add a lot of value. I would certainly recommend for people either that are completely new and just getting started or even have had a break and may not feel they know what they're doing, just go in and create that accountability, start a relationship. That's that's a key part of it. And uh, and that'll keep you going back and upskilling you and giving you the knowledge to create that consistency and agility combination that's going to be key for the next 12 months and beyond. Phenomenal. Thanks, Jeep. Thanks, Angus. Thank you so much. Uh, 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 uh,